it's always a joy to know that the Lord accepts our service because of our hearts, not because of our talent and the things that we do. And he just loves each and every one of us so very much and is so appreciative of anything that we offer and anything that we do. And he's so gracious in all of our life and so many things that he blesses us with. And you know, one of the struggles that I find that I have is, is how do you really tell God adequately, thank you? How do you tell him how much you really appreciate him, how much you love him and, and, and are so grateful for all the blessings in our life? You know, we live in, a, in a, a world that's filled with turmoil and trouble. We live in a time when we have so many things that take our minds off of God and on, put it onto life and the struggles and the burdens and all the things that we face day by day. It's easy for us to, to kind of lose sight and to lose touch with God and to wonder why are we not really thanking him more? Why do we not stand in awe of him more why do we not feel are filled with wonder in who he is and what he does in our life as we look at it and so I struggle with that I I try to understand how can I really say thank you and the Lord led me to a passage of scripture in, in and in a study of a, a young man in the Old Testament that gave me some insight and begin uh, his beginning I, I certainly I'm not where I need to be yet but gave me some insight into what it means if I really want to be grateful to God if I want to honor God if I want to I give the kind of worship to him that he deserves. What do I need to do? And so uh, it comes out of the life of a young man named Mephibosheth. You'll find him in the Old Testament. He's uh, in the stories of David and the things that go on with King David and the things that are there. And just want to fill in the background right quick and with you, and then we'll move to the Scripture and share uh, a couple of things, two or three things that I think will help any of us, if we would desire it, learn how to genuinely love God, express our gratitude, our worship to Him in a regular, ongoing basis in our life as we look at it. If, you re if you'll recall, Melchizedek was a son of Jonathan, and you know that David and Jonathan had a very good friendship, a very close friendship, and they had made a promise to one another that they would always be take care of one another. If something happened to one, then that other, the surviving one, would take care of the family, would be kind to them and oversee them and help them in any way that they could. And you'll remember that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And uh, David, who had been fleeing Saul all of his life, became king of a part of the nation of Israel until later on as the time would come. Well, when the word came that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, the woman who had been charged, kind of like a nanny, to take care of uh, Mephibosheth, picked him up and was fleeing with him to protect him from being harmed in any way that she could. And being a part of that, she fell with him. And the Bible tells us that Mephibosheth became lame for the rest of his life. Couldn't walk and get around as well as he could. And they went into hiding out of fear that David would come and find him and destroy him so there would be no heirs to the king, nobody to challenge him to be the king as it would go. Later on, as David is king over all things, he, he remembers his promise to Jonathan. And so he asks, is there anyone who remembers? Did Jonathan have any children? Is there anyone out there that, that I need to uh, pay my dues to Jonathan for and what he did? And one of the servants says, well, yeah, he had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. And so David orders him, them to go get him and bring him to the, to the palace where he is, the king, king's house. And he does, and of course Mephibosheth doesn't know what to think. All he's been told all of his life is that David is his enemy. That he's going to be, you know, and, and he, he will destroy him. And now he's being summoned to the king. He's been found, he's been brought before the king, and he doesn't have anything to offer. He's, you know, he's, he says, I'm just a dog in your eyes, I have nothing to offer. But David says to him an amazing thing. He said, not because of Mephibosheth, not anything that he did, but because of Jonathan Mephibosheth, my friendship with him, 
you're going to be just like one of my sons. You're going to put your feet at my table. You're going to eat. You're going to get your land. You're going to have servants. You're going to be welcomed in my household as my own child and being a part of it. See, that's what God did for you and me. God's grace took us out of the wilderness of our own sin, out of the lameness of our own defeat and all that was there. And he came and he told us that we were going to put our feet at the king's table and we're going to dine with him forever. We're his children. That's grace. That's what God has done for us. Well, later on, you'll remember, David comes to a place in his life where one of his sons, Absalom, decides he wants to be king. And he doesn't want to wait until David's dead. He wants to go ahead and be king now. And so he, has, he gets a group of people, and they try to overthrow David, and, and David is ran, run out of the city and protecting himself and taking his faithful people with him. Melchizedek, who now lives there, but he's lame. He can't do all the things that others could. And the servant tells him that he'll go get a donkey for him to ride on so that he can leave with David because the loyal people are going with David. Those who are staying behind would be those who would support Absalom as it would be a part of it. The servant betrays him, doesn't bring the donkey, and leaves him there. And that's where we pick up this story as David is coming back now. Absalom's been defeated. He's coming back into the city to take up, back up his throne and be a part of it. He encounters Melchizedek in that time as we look at it in 1 Samuel in chapter 9 2 Samuel excuse me chapter 19 in verses 24 through 30 we find this account that they're meeting after he's David's returning to the city and Melchizedek meets him and it's here that I think God is teaching me some things that I need to learn to help me be the kind of person who honors him loves him worships him walks with him in the daily life that I have as I look at it. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word and just listen to this, 2 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 24 and reading through verse 30. The Scripture says, Then Melchizedek, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Melchizedek? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. And, but my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Melchizedek said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we think about these words and this story in the life of David and Melchizedek, trying to understand something, why the story was preserved for us. Why is it in the Bible? What does it have to teach us? What can we take to it? And so, Father, I pray that as you're teaching me some of these things, that you just help me to share out of the outflow of your spirit in my own heart those things that, that seem to be something that we can grab hold of, something that we can just really take and use in our own life as we try to understand how to worship you, how to adore you, how to thank you, how to live a life of gratitude and faithfulness before you as your people. Father, just give us insight into that and then give us the strength and the hope and the faith to walk in that knowledge, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Three things stand out in that passage that, to me as I understand how we can really live a life that says to, that we're grateful to God. We want to worship God. We want to live in a way that people know our relationship and acknowledge Him in our own life as we look at it. And the first thing in verse 24 that comes to mind is there it says if we want to be right with God, if we want to worship Him, if we want to honor Him, the first thing that we need to do is identify with Him. We need to be willing to say we belong to God. He, we're Christians. We're not ashamed of our relationship. We're not ashamed of who we are in Christ. We don't need to apologize for anything about our lives. We need to be fully identified with Him. Now, where do we get that idea from this passage? Well, it, you'll remember David has gone into the wilderness to save his life. And he's living out. He's had to leave the palace. He's had to leave all the comforts of the palace. He's had to leave everything that he's had and all he's grown accustomed to because he's in a war and he's in trying to protect his life and he's out. He's out in the wilderness somewhere. And the scripture says here that once he left, Melpibosheth, even though he was still in the castle, even though he still had all the things he needed, all the good things of life that he would have, he wasn't having to rough it out in the well, that he didn't shave. He didn't wash his clothes, he didn't bathe, he didn't do any of those things, not because he didn't have good hygiene, but because he was identifying with what David was going through in the wilderness. David didn't have those things anymore. He couldn't be where he was to be waited on and taken care of and be able to wash his clothes every day and do the things that would be normal for a king to do. Those were all stripped away from him. And in order for him to be identified with him, even though he couldn't be physically with him, he wanted to be identified, I'm with David. I'm loyal to David. I belong to David's household. I'm not for Absalom. I don't stand with him. I stand with David, as the case be. And so he identified himself by putting himself in a physical sense as best as he could in the same state of mind, in the frame of physical rectitude that David was in, in the place that he was in. Jesus Christ did that for you and for me. You'll remember the book of Philippians says that he came and he identified himself with us. He took on human flesh and he dwelt among us and he experienced life just like you and I experienced. He dealt with all the, sin, all the temptations and all the things that we face, yet he never sinned. But he came to identify with us so that he could become that perfect lamb of sacrifice that would die for us upon the cross of Calvary. He put himself in our place and now we are to do the same thing as we identify with him. We're to say, I belong to Christ. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And I may live in a world that's dark. I may live among people who have no love for God, no, no sense of His presence and His life and all that He's about, but I am His. And the way we do that, first of all, we identify with God by identifying with His character. What's God like? The Bible tells us that we're to be like Jesus Christ, that we're to try to give our lives over and live a life that, that exemplifies Christ in our life and the things that we're doing and all that we're about. We're supposed to give example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives to bring forth those fruits of spirit that make us like Jesus Christ. If we're going to be like Christ, we have to be people who, first of all, have a desire to live in a holy life. We have a desire to live a life in which we live toward one another in peace in love. Our character must be one that is forgiving and kind. Our character must be one that is generous and all that. All that made Christ who he was as he dwelt upon the earth are the characteristics that need to be in your life and in my life. Therefore, there can be nothing in our life that's unforgiving. There can be no root of bitterness. There can't be the kinds of things in your life and my life that would not be willing to be sacrificial and loving and kind and peaceful and all the things that are there that make up Christ. For me to identify with him in this world today I need to live in such a way that people see Christ, His nature, His character in my life, even as I live out my life. The way I respond in situations, the way I treat people, the way my attitude is and the things that are going on needs to always be such that I show Christ's character in my life. 
that people see and understand there's something different. There's something about the way I live, something about the way I speak, the way I think, the way I act, the way I relate to people that's not natural. It's not something that just everybody does, but it's supernatural because it's God himself working in my life, in your life, to live out his life through us so that people might know that there is a God and that God is worthy. So we identify, first of all, by letting him develop his character in us as we look at that and as we see that. You remember Romans 8 that we like, a lot of people like to talk to all the time, especially when things are going wrong in their life. All things work together for good. And for those who are called according to the good, though, if you keep reading that it talks about, is that we'd be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why God takes everything in your life, good, bad, whatever it is, everything in your life God uses to help you be more like Jesus Christ. That's his goal for us, to be like him, to, to live out that kind of life. And so we identify by character, but we also have to identify by purpose. If I'm going to live with God in, in a way that allows me to demonstrate that I love God and that he's my Lord and, and I want to serve him and be a part of that, then I need to have the same purpose he has in life. Well, first of all, Jesus taught us that the greatest purpose of our life is to glorify God, to give God glory in all things, that the way we live. Whatever we do, the Bible says, we should do it for the glory of God. It doesn't matter whether it's working, playing, whether it's in our family, whether it's at our job, whether it's at school, whether we're on vacation, wherever it is, whatever we're doing, we ought to be seeking to glorify God with our life. That's what we're supposed to be doing, to give God glory. That's the purpose. But also God's purpose through Jesus Christ, you'll know, was to reach people for Christ was to reach people for the kingdom, to bring them out of the sinfulness of their life and bring them into the glorious redemption that God had provided through Jesus Christ, that they might have their sins forgiven, that they might be restored to the kingdom of God and know God as Father, know that they are children, know that they can put their feet at the Heavenly Father's table and dwell with Him, declared children of God. That's his desire. And so if we're going to identify with God, if we're going to let ourselves be what God wants us to be, one of the things that needs to motivate our lives is not only that we seek to glorify him in all things, but that we want everybody that we know to come to know Christ. We want them to experience what we've experienced. We want to invite them to come put their feet at the king's table. We want them to know that they have a way by which they can be accepted by God, that they can be brought into his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, and they can have life abundantly and eternally because of their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ. So the first thing that you and I can do to help people know and to even to encourage our own selves that we truly love the Lord, that we want to worship him, that we want to honor him, that we're in awe of him, is to say, I want to be as much like you as I possibly can. I want the Holy Spirit to work in my life to achieve your purposes in my life. Make me as much like Christ. Teach me to be more loving. Teach me to be more forgiving. Teach me to be more kind, more patient. Teach me to have the kind of character that you want to have that in my life that would illustrate who you are. And then God, give my heart your heart. Give me the same purposes of your heart. Teach me to glorify you. Teach me to want people to know you, to experience you, to love you, and to have all that you have for them. I don't want anyone to miss the abundance that God has for people. There's so much life that we're all missing because we won't take God at his word and experience the wonder of it, and I don't want anyone to miss that. And so I need to be able to help people understand that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person and that he wants them to know him, to experience his forgiveness, to experience his fullness. So we learn there that we identify with God. It's one of the ways that we can do that. But if we continue to look through those verses that I read and shared with you, there's a second thing that we can do. Not only identify ourselves with God, but the scripture says that we can submit to God. That we can 
Submit our lives unto him. Now, many people don't like the word submit because they think of the idea that somebody's a boss and somebody's got to just do everything they're told to do and there's nothing like that we like about it. We don't like that term in our lives. And we've so misused it so many times even in, in our family relationships where we think the wife is supposed to submit to the husband and, and the things and we don't really understand the concept of it and we, we abuse it and we use, misuse it. And, and so people just kind of throw that word away as we look at it. It sounds like we don't have any will, we don't have any purpose in our life, we don't have any freedom in anything that we do, but that's not biblical of what it says. The word submit is meaning that I make a choice in my life to put myself under the authority, under the leadership, under the guidance of someone who has demonstrated to me how great is their love for me and being a part of it. We, the scripture says we submit one to another as we look unto the Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's a choice that we make. It's not something that we're forced to do. It's not something that we do because we think that there's a rule somewhere that says you've got to do this. We submit because we're so in love with an individual that we choose to put ourselves in a position of, of responding to them, of loving them, of supporting them, of, of glorifying, honoring them in any way that we can. And that's what we do with Jesus Christ. I submit to his authority. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that means that there's none above him. The scripture says that he's been given a name that's above every name. That the, the, at his name, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. There's no one greater than God. No one above Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all things. And so he is Lord. And, and one of the things we need to remember and understand is that we don't make him Lord of our life. I hear so many people talk about, you know, they accepted Christ as their Savior and later in their life they realized that they needed to make Him Lord and so they made Him Lord of their life later and had a whole new thing. You don't make Him Lord, He is Lord. He is Lord from the beginning, He's Lord always. There's never a time that He's not Lord. You, you submit to His Lordship, you yield to His Lordship in your life, but you don't make Him Lord. He's Lord, period. If He's not Lord, He can't be your Savior. He has nothing to offer you. And so as Lord of our life, we, we, resent, we give ourselves freely, fully, completely, lovingly and say, Lord, I want you to be the authority of my life. I want you to guide my life. I want to submit to you because I trust you. I love you. And I know that you are all that I need in my life. You'll remember the disciples when a lot of people were having trouble with some of the demands of Jesus Christ. And many of them, the scripture says, were leaving and turning away from him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, will you go away also? And he said, they said to him, where would we go? You're the one who has life. You're the Lord of life. We, we're going to go wherever you go because you're the Lord of all things that there is as we look at it and as we see. The scripture tells us that you and I can do nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. That we, we're the the branches and he's the vine and, and there's nothing that we can accomplish except that we're submitted to his life to his who he is because our very life the very power of our living the very demonstration of our heartbeat comes from his control and his work in our life he's lord and we need to be submitted and work before him as we see and understand he talked to people why do you call me lord when you don't obey me one of the ways that we demonstrate our obedience our submission is that we obey him. The scripture says if the measure, the way that we can gauge our love for him is by the way that we obey him. In the obedience of our hearts before him, as we subject ourselves willingly, I, we choose him and say, I, you're my Lord, you're, you're God, I want to be what you want me to be. And so we subject ourselves to him and, and let him have all that we are. There was a, two little girls whose dad was traveling all the time and gone most of the time. And 
Usually when he would come in, they would come up to him and whenever he had arrived, you know, they'd grab a hold of him and love him and everything because he'd been gone and being a part of that time. And one this particular occasion, he got in really, really late and they were already in bed asleep. And so the next morning when they got up, they came up, the, little, the youngest one came in and when she got there, the older sister was there already holding on, you know, holding on to her dad and she was just like sisters could be sometimes, looked at the younger sister and said, yeah, I've got dad, I got here first and I've got all of dad there is to get. And the little girl, of course, began to kind of cry. She was upset because the big sister was making fun of her and she had and dad reached down and took her in his arms and picked her up and the little girl looked at her older sister now and said, you may have all of him, but he has all of me. That's what God wants. That's all God wants. It's just to have all of you. Just for you to give yourself in trust and confidence and to know he wants to love you and care for you and walk with you through life if you'll let him. But you have to release yourself by surrendering to his lordship, who he is, what he does, and what he's about as we look at it. So we identify with him. We find ourselves submitting to him. But the last thing, probably the hardest thing, is to be satisfied with him. The scripture you'll remember says there at the end in verse 30 that I read that David had listened to all that was going on and heard the dispute and realized what had happened and made a decision about how it was going to be handled and said, we'll divide the lands, we'll put everything back and everything will be okay because he had basically, when he thought Mephibosheth had rejected him, he had given it all back away to somebody because he thought that was his enemy. But now learning the truth, he gives back to Melpibosheth the things that are there. And hear what Melpibosheth said. Let that guy have it all. Give him all the lands. Give him everything. I don't need anything because all that matters to me is that my king is home. That you've made it back safely. That's all I need. It's just you. And I wonder, when I think about that, and I look at my life, am I really satisfied with God? So many of us want the things that God gives us. We want all the blessings, all the promises, all the things that are available to us through God. We want those things given to us. But I wonder if God were to tell us that, you know, I died on the cross for you. I brought salvation to you. I've given you life everlasting. You receive that gift and you'll have eternal life. But I'm never going to answer any of your other prayers. I'm never going to do anything else for you. All I'm going to do is just tell you you've got eternal life. Now, first of all, real quickly, we all know that's not what he does and not what he would do. But if that was all that he did, said nothing else, you have salvation. I wonder how many of us would choose him. How many of us would love him? How many of us would follow him? Because too many of us, the only reason we follow God is because of what we think we can get from him. The only reason we serve God is because of something we think maybe we'll get as a benefit of serving God. The only reason we pray is so we can list all of our want lists and expect God to fill in all the blanks. We want God to give us and give us and give us again, and he does. Amazingly, he does. But what if he didn't? What if he just said, all you can have is me, nothing else, just me? That's what God wants. God wants me to love him so very much that I'd be satisfied with nothing but him. That I'd worship him for who he is, not just for what he does. 
And that's one of the things that, that I need to learn as I look and try to understand the things that are going on in my own life about how do I rightly relate to God? How do I celebrate God? How do I worship Him? How do I say, God, when I look at my life and I see the manifold blessings in my life, when I see all that you have done for me throughout all of my life, thank you just doesn't seem enough. That word, you know, it's, so often we all know saying thank you to someone who's done something for us even from a human standpoint so often seems inadequate to just say thank you. But sometimes it's all we can say. That's all we can do. But here we have an avenue. Here we have a way that we can take the thank you to God and put it into action and let that word begin to multiply itself before God as we just honor him and love him and give him all that we are. We identify with him. Lord, I want to be like you. I want, I want you to work in my heart. I want the Holy Spirit to shape me and to mold me. I want you to be the potter as I'm the clay, and I just want you to make me what you want me to be so I can be a reflection of your character in my life. And God, teach me to want what you want more than I want what I want. I want your glory. I want people to know you. I want people to experience the life that you have for them. I want life to be so abundant for all people. God, give me that hunger, that heart, that desire. God, help me to understand your Lord, I'm not. It's not always about me, but it is always about you. Let me live my life in subjection to you, in submission to you, because in honoring you, I find life in its abundance and all the things there. And then God, please, Help me day by day, moment by moment, to long for you more than I long for the things that you do. I know God's going to keep blessing us, and I know God's going to keep meeting our needs and doing all those things, and he even told us that we were to ask. But I wonder if I could even live a day, one day, in which all that I could do would be just to honor him and worship him and praise him and just thank him for who he is and not for what he does. He's going to keep doing it, and we certainly need to keep thanking him for doing it. But could I ever love him enough to just love him? To just love him. I don't know about you, but I do know my heart. I need to learn how better to live a life of gratitude, a life of worship, a life of celebration of the Lord God and all that he is and all that he's about. And so it just seems like God is helping me through this young man to see some of the outward expressions of what I can do to honor God and being a part of that. So I'm going to pray with you, and after we pray, we'll have a moment of invitation, and one of your men will come here at the front and join with you. The invitation hymn is number 112, and we'll look at that. But let's pray together, and then we'll stand, and we'll have a time of invitation. Father, thank you for who you are. Already this morning, we've had the joy, Father, of being able to, to experience you in song and testimony and sharing together in prayer and all the things that have been there in time. And Father, I just pray today that you would help us to, to just truly lift up our eyes and see who you are and, and to look beyond all that's going on around us for a few moments and just say thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, for being God, for being holy, righteous, loving, Forgiving, accepting, unconditional love and bringing us to yourself. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. It's the expression of all your wonder. 
But God, I pray right now that in our own hearts, whatever may be going on in our lives, as we look and as we see and we know all of us face struggles, all of us have things going on in our lives, sometimes it's easy for us to just kind of put you aside while we try to just survive. Maybe this morning there's some of us that would just want to say, God, I want you to teach me. I want to take this example that Melchizedek gives us, and you preserved in your word for a reason to teach us something, to help us gain something about what it means to live our life in thanksgiving. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us, and if there's some kind of response that we need to make to you this morning in a public way, that we'd be willing to do that. Whatever that, Father, we'd just go away letting that word sink in our mind, in our hearts, and we'd meditate upon it, and we would let it just sink in and take root so that it might bring forth fruit in all of our life. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.